Good morning, everybody. You can say good morning back through your masks, all right? Uh, it's great to be here today. And I know it's kind of ugly outside, but it's, uh, I think it's beautiful inside here. And uh, thankful for the space. Thank you for joining us. And I just want to say also thanks to Ben and Tim and Erica for leading us in worship. Can we express our thanks to them? And I'm going to embarrass Erica just a little bit. This is Erica's last Sunday with us. She's uh, graduating from Moody Bible Institute. She's going to be working on staff at a church in Peoria in their communications department. She has just been a constant like help and gift to community Lincoln Park for several years now, you know, all the way through her college experience, and we're going to miss her a lot. So let's just say thank you to Erica one more time. And Eric, anytime you're in town, be sure and come back, and we'd love for you to play keys, okay? <laughs> All right. You know, every day uh, we are bombarded with advertisements. And uh, I want to ask you, have you ever been watching a commercial and asked yourself, what in the world are they selling? Am I the only one? Anybody else? You're watching a commercial and you're kind of like, okay, what in the world are they selling? I've had that happen a lot of times. Uh, we're going to show you a clip from an actual commercial, and uh, I want you to kind of guess what they're selling, okay? All right, here we go. You ready? All right, the sun is rising up over this beautiful city. People are waking up after an amazing night of sleep, right? You can almost feel the sunshine and fresh air, riding bikes down the street, smiles on faces, delicious food, affectionate hugs. You got kids running, people playing together. I mean, if this isn't the life, I don't know what is, right? All right, any guesses as to what that commercial is advertising? Anybody? Go ahead and just say it out loud. Yeah, right, Nutella. Did, there wasn't Nutella on there, was there? Okay. Oh, not the actual container. Oh, was there a little one? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's Nutella. Right, Nutella. Uh, and here is the actual commercial. Take a look at the commercial. Uh, did you know that Nutella will do all that for you? Isn't that incredible? <laughs> and if you haven't noticed, I mean, people are crazy for Nutella. Uh, how many of you have seen the store on Michigan Avenue? Yeah, and if you drive by, it's not uncommon, is it, to see a, like a long line of people stretched out for blocks just looking for the opportunity to taste that mouth-watering spread. And in this commercial, it cracks them up because everybody seems so happy, right? I mean, they're just, you know, enjoying, like, it's almost like their Nutella breakfast is literally changing their life. And I got to tell you, if that's what Nutella does for you, I want that Nutella life. Are you with me? Yeah, for sure. But I think we know, you know, a lot of people, they buy Nutella and they don't get the Nutella life uh, because they're really selling something that Nutella will not deliver. I hate to disappoint you today, but it's true. What they're advertising, I think, is rest. Rest. Rest, relaxation, relationships, and a restorative sort of life that nourishes our souls. I think they are selling the life we actually long for. And I think that explains why, you know, so often that item that we buy from Amazon doesn't fill the void. It doesn't make our lives better. Because you see, even with Nutella, we're still stuck with a often hurried and harried lifestyle. Am I right? But you know what? There's something else we look to thinking it's going to get us what we long for. Think about this. There's something else I think we look to thinking it's going to get us what we long for, and it's busyness. Busyness. Yeah, I mean, we chase after busyness, don't we? Somehow thinking that it's going to bring us greater productivity. Do you do that? I know I do. And yet a study from Stanford discovered that productivity per hour actually goes down when a person works more than 50 hours a week. Productivity actually goes down when a person works more than 50 hours a week. And after 55 hours, productivity drops so much that putting any more hours in is actually pointless. 
Let me be clear, okay? People who work 70 hours a week are no more productive than those who work 55. I think I hit my 55 right about now, so somebody else want to take over? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? People who work 70 hours a week are no more productive than those who work 55. So I got to ask, why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we do this to ourselves? There's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a better way. This week we're starting a brand new series that's going to extend for the next four weeks. I'm so excited about this series. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's based on the book by John Mark Comer. And if you haven't read the book, I'd encourage you to pick it up sometime this month or listen to it. It's excellent. He's a phenomenal writer. Because something I find truly fascinating is that in spite of the fact that most of us worked for a home, from home, right, for the last year due to the pandemic, life didn't really slow down. And in many cases, life actually got busier and even more hectic. Now, for others, maybe, maybe you did slow down. And now as things begin to reopen, you're not sure that you want to go back to that hectic, hectic, crazy pace that you once had. Or maybe things did slow down for you and you can't wait, quite frankly, to get back to that fast-paced lifestyle you once had. Because here's the deal, you see, it's not that busy is bad. Busy is not bad in and of itself. But there's a difference between a busy life that's full and a busy life that's hurried. You see, there's a difference between a busy life that's full and a busy life that's hurried. Here's how John Mark Comer explains the difference. He says, there's a healthy kind of busyness where your life is full with things that matter, not wasted on empty leisure or trivial pursuits. The problem isn't when you have a lot to do, it's when you have too much to do and the only way to keep up the quota is to hurry. Think about that. The problem is when you have too much to do and the only way to keep the quota up is to hurry. Ever feel that way? Like you just got so much to do, the only way you can possibly keep up is to hurry. And in this series over the next several weeks, we want to explain the difference between a life that's full and a life that's flustered. And we're going to actually offer some very practical biblical advice and help to not only know the difference, but to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Uh, Dallas Willard, former professor at, at USC, once said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Think about that. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And the reality is that too many of us suffer from what Dallas Willard calls hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. You know, hurry sickness is when you're always striving, but never arriving. Always striving, but never arriving. Ever feel that way? I know I do. And the real danger of hurry sickness is that it cuts off our connection to God, our connection to each other, and even our connection to our very own souls. Hurry sickness. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, I wonder if I do suffer from hurry sickness. Well, I want to give you some symptoms of hurry sickness, okay? And I just want you to do an honest sort of uh, look inside and see if any of these symptoms describe you, okay? These are symptoms of hurry sickness. How about frequent irritability? Frequent irritability. I can hardly say that word. It's tough. It's like got one too many syllables, right? Irritability. That's hard to say. But do you find yourself, you know, easily agitated or quickly frustrated? Have you been reacting with anger a lot lately? Uh, what about this symptom here? Emotional numbness. Uh, do you feel kind of unmoved by things that used to really matter to you? Do you find it hard to care about someone else's pain? 
emotional numbness. What about this one? Uh, disordered priorities. I mean, do you feel busier than ever, but not able to like make the time for things that really matter? Do you feel like you're almost always reactive and not so much proactive? Uh, are you displaying any escapist behaviors? Uh, do you find yourself trying to escape through maybe binge watching TV or, or overeating or overdrinking? Do you sometimes feel apathetic spiritually? Do the things that keep you close to God often get put on the back burner? I mean, how long has it been since you really spent some extended time in prayer, solitude, quietness, and reflection on Scripture? Now, just take a moment and, and look at that list and do a quick kind of assessment of yourself. Which one of those would you say describes you? Maybe there's more than one. Symptoms of hurry sickness. You know, I, I got to look at that myself, and um, I got to tell you, hurry sickness has definitely more than crept into my life. I hate to admit it, but there have been too many times over the past year when I wasn't exactly the life of the party. Not so fun to be around. Yes, frequently irritable, definitely me. Abso absolutely. And even as I think about how irritable I've been over the past year, I get irritable just thinking about being irritable. So how about that? Escapist behaviors? Absolutely. Too many times when I'm like, okay, I just want to veg out in front of the TV. I don't want to be bothered by anybody or anything for like an extended period of time. Just leave me alone. Let me escape. And I'll tell you what, if you truly want to find out if any of these apply to you, ask somebody who really cares about you. Ask somebody close to you. They will tell you <laughs> which one of these actually apply to you. And some of you are getting elbows right now if you're sitting next to your significant other, right? And it's wild because in spite of what I know to be true, I still often live like my hurriedness will yield some sort of positive result when I know that all this striving but never arriving takes a toll. It absolutely takes a toll. Yeah, hurry sickness affects our bodies. Did you know that? Think about it. Uh, I mean, your, your adrenaline pumps up, right? It settles into your chest, making it tight. There's a pit in your stomach. You almost feel nauseous. Your jaw's fixed. Your shoulders are tense. I mean, these are ways that your body is telling you you need to pay attention to something, and it's probably hurry sickness. All this striving and never arriving, it also affects our souls. You know, we convince ourselves that, you know, what matters most is the urgent, the, the here and now, what I got to get after right now. And then we don't take time to be with God in prayer and in solitude and reflection on Scripture. And so I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but do you feel the effects of hurry sickness? Do you? Would you say that the pace of your life is actually beginning to take a toll on you and your body and your soul? And isn't there something in you that just sort of longs for something different? Something sustainable? Something more restful? More restful? Well, if you answered yes, there's good news today because you know what? Jesus actually offers a better way. And it's a way that doesn't just relieve us of hurry. It's really a way for us to experience rest. Rest. Doesn't that word almost sound the way it should feel if you think about it? Rest. I want you to say that word rest in just a moment, but let it linger kind of between your tongue and the roof of your mouth and, and say it slowly as you exhale, okay? Let's say it together on three. Ready? One, two, three. Rest. Yeah. <laughs> now you want to take off your mask and clean it, right? <laughs> rest. 
But you know, Jesus has something to say about rest. He says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to come to him and to lay our burdens at his feet, and we will find rest. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it, to actually trust that he's strong enough, big enough, and powerful enough to carry our burdens? I mean, what, what a relief that would be if we could actually let him. Because the thought of it and the reality of it are two different things altogether, right? Because, I mean, what if my idea of him carrying my burdens is way different than his idea of what it looks like for him to carry my burdens? What then? Because if you're like me, then what I do is, if I'm not sure how he's going to carry my burdens, I'm going to hold on to those myself, begin to carry them again on my own, and once again, I long for this rest. But then Jesus says this, he says, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find, say it, what is it? Find rest for your souls. You know, in Jesus' day, a yoke, interesting passage, isn't it? Have you ever wondered what that means? In Jesus' day, a yoke, we have a picture, I think, of this, uh, is something that would hold two animals together so that they could work more efficiently. See that wooden piece between these two oxen? And often an ox would be brought in and custom measurements would be taken to ensure a yoke would have a near perfect fit for that particular ox. And then that yoke would be roughed out and usually in wood. And then the ox would be brought back for sort of a fitting to try it on. And th that yoke would be carefully adjusted to make sure that it fit just right and to assure that it wouldn't rub against the ox or cause any injury or pain. And so keep that image in mind because then Jesus explains how his yoke leads to rest. When he describes his yoke this way, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, my way of living is easy. My way of living is light. When Jesus uses that word easy saying my yoke is easy, what he actually means is it's well-fitting. It's well-fitting. His yoke, his way of life doesn't remove the work. It actually makes the work easier. And what Jesus is saying to us today, folks, is this. When you choose to follow him, he's saying the life that I give you isn't meant to be a burden that weighs you down or rubs you wrong. The life I want for you is made to fit you. It's a custom fit. But it's not our design, it's his design. Now, I don't know what your yoke feels like, but for too many people I talk to, I mean, their yoke, how they go about living their life, it's not working. It's not easy. It's not light. And I think many are suffering from hurry sickness. And so I just want to encourage you today. Take off that yoke of performance. Remove that yoke of perfection Lay down that yoke of achievement, that yoke of guilt, that yoke of measuring up. Because I know, I know it is weighing you down and it is rubbing you raw. And instead, take on that grace-filled, well-fitting yoke of Jesus. It's how we were meant to live. It's what it looks like to actually be fully human. I love uh, Eugene Peterson in the message, his take on Jesus' words. Jesus is saying this to us today. Are you tired? Worn out? burned out, maybe even on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. 
Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Now keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Do you want to live freely and lightly? Yeah, I think we all do. So how do we live into that design, into these light and free, unforced rhythms of grace? Well, there's a yoke or framework that followers of Jesus have used for centuries, and it's called a rule of life. Rule of life. And a rule of life is a schedule or set of practices that help us slow down and avoid getting sucked into the hurry of life. Uh, Pastor and author Pete Scazzaro, uh, who has his own story of burnout from hurry sickness, explains a rule of life this way. Here's what he says. He says, the term rule of life has its linguistic roots in an ancient Greek word that means trellis. I kind of let that image form in your mind of a trellis, okay? A trellis is a support structure that enables plants, such as a grapevine, to get off the ground, grow upward, and become fruitful. It's a beautiful image of what a rule of life is and how it functions it is a support structure that helps us to grow up and abide in Christ. Now, please understand, folks, okay, a rule of life is not about adding something else to our lives, all right? A rule of life helps us actually figure out what doesn't fit so that we can thrive and live into these unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus so wants for us. Because I got to tell you, whenever I've sat down with somebody who seems to kind of live with that deep and sort of abiding peace that I know they can only get through a relationship with Christ, I discover that often came after years of struggle and hurry sickness. And what I also find is that their, their new way of living life is often the result of careful planning. It's a sort of support structure or trellis. And it reminds me of Jesus' words right here when he said this. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we've got to remain in him. And so as a first step, I would encourage you to take advantage of some common community Christian church language to help you develop your first rule of life. Again, I want us to kind of take a first step towards this idea of a rule of life. And we talked about this a few weeks back, but we call this the RPMs. And it comes from Luke's description of how Jesus grew. When Luke says this, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. And here we see Jesus grew relationally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Now, we know that there aren't clear lines of demarcation between these areas. There's overlap, there's interplay. They, one affects the other, but I think it's a great framework or trellis for you to begin to think about what could a rule of life look, for you, look like for you? And here's what it could look like, okay? And I'll tell you what, if you have handy, like a scratch pad and pen or something to write on, I would encourage you to, to draw these boxes even now as, we, as I'm talking. Uh, but certainly think about it and do this later on in the day. Uh, here's what a, a rule of life could look like. I'm gonna show you some parts of what my rule of life looks like based on these four areas, okay? And maybe it'll help you get an idea of what it could look like for you. Are you guys with me? Does this make some sense? All right, give me a nod of the head. All right, okay, cool. So under relational, in that relational box here, here's what I've got, okay? I have date night with my wife, Lisa. Now, um, full disclosure, since we became empty nesters, we haven't been doing quite as good. We kind of figured the nest is empty. This is going to be easy, right? But we just get busy and hurry and we haven't been doing as well. So we got to get back on that. That's in my relational box because when my wife and I are having a regular date night, our relationship is going better. Like I think God wants it to. I'm in a men's small group every week, Thursday morning, 6.45. I don't lead it. I'm a participant. I put it in a relational box because it's life-giving to me relationally. I enjoy it. It's really, really been good. I have 50-hour work week in that box also. 
Why is that in the relational box? Because I find when I get my work week, and I hate to admit it, down to 50 hours in the week, because I do fall prey to this idea that the more I work, the more productive I will be. When I get it down to 50, my relationships thrive. When I go past that, they don't. So that's in the relational box. In the physical box, I have several things that I put in there, but a couple of them is a goal to run at least four times a week, uh, seven hours of sleep each night. I have other items that are in that box that are part of my rule of life, but that helps me thrive physically. In the mental box, all right, my sort of uh, health for my mind, I have read EHS by Pete Scazzaro. Uh, EHS is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a, an outstanding book. It's the, the book that helped us understand what a rule of life is all about. I read just about anything I can get my hands on by Pete right now. I also listen to several podcasts. One is called Church Pulse, The Daily, The New York Times. I also listen to one from Father Mike Schmidt. It's just a, about a 10-minute devotional on some scripture, and it's just, I find that it feeds my soul. That's in the mental box. And then finally in the spiritual box, I've got 45 minutes of uh, quiet, reflective time, prayer and Bible reading, solitude where I just sit quietly and I just kind of say, thank you, Jesus. And then I'm quiet and see what happens. Started out at one minute and I'm up to five minutes. One minute seemed like an eternity before. Now five minutes is kind of going by quickly. But I do find that that 45 minutes may be the most important aspect of this entire rule of life every day to have that time early in the morning. I have a weekly celebration service in there and uh, it's because I like to be with you guys so much. I do find it to be life-giving. But I'll tell you, I would encourage you, make it a priority. It's so good to come together as a community of faith. It's so vital for us spiritually. And then finally, uh, my wife Lisa and I, we pray uh, together before we uh, go to sleep at night. And that also has been great for us relationally and spiritually. Now, Again, I'm just showing you this as an example. This is not yours. Yours would be completely different. And that's not my entire rule of life, but it's something that I'm beginning to craft to help me so that I'm not always hurrying and I'm not always striving but never arriving. And so I want to challenge you. Spend some time this week to develop your own rule of life. And if you'd like to have a blank one, all right, if you will just text the word RULE, R-U-L-E, to 331-226-1686, we will send you a blank rule of life. You can download it and you can work on this process uh, yourself. You know, in the next three weeks, we're going to paint a picture, I hope, of what it looks like to ruthlessly eliminate hurry so we can experience a Nutella kind of life. <laughs> Isn't that what we want? But we're going to talk about solitude. I mean, most of us, I think, have experienced a lot of isolation over the past year. But have you really experienced solitude? You know, an intentional slowing, to be in the presence of Christ, to, to be quiet and reflect in a deeper way. And then we're going to talk about simplicity in a couple of weeks. And in that week, we're going to ask the question, why are we so consumed with consuming? And what if less really is more? Even less music from our phones. How about that? <laughs> Couldn't help it. <laughs> and then finally, we're going to take a look at Sabbath and explore why God wants us to Sabbath, so much so that he put it in his top 10 commands. I mean, we think it's a suggestion, right? But no, it's actually a command. So we're going to look at what life would be like if we actually practiced a Sabbath every week. Man, I, I think we need this more than ever. I know I do. And so I hope you'll join us every week in this series, uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, because I think Jesus wants us to find that healthy pace, a life filled with things that matter.
And I think it's why he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light.